From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're focusing on the story of one man, a single individual, a larger-than-life figure who, once upon a time, dominated global news. To some... He is an inspiring icon of free speech and transparency, the kind of figure you'd build a statue for. To others, he's a power-mad supervillain, an agent of chaos, and to still others, many people, he's just dangerous. His name is Julian Assange. Our last update that we did on this show on Julian Assange was almost exactly a year ago today. It was May 10th, 2019, and today is May 6th. 2020 as we're recording this. So, uh, you know, we're not going to spend too much time in the background because previously we have covered basically Julian Assange's uh, earlier situations. If you really want to learn that stuff, you can go back to those episodes. But for for today, we're going to look at where he is now, briefly how he got there, and the very, very real big picture issues that his current situation is revealing. Do you guys think what makes people think supervillain is his like stark white hair? You know, it just seems like uh, a really good um, uh, feature for a for a like a Superman villain of some kind. Well, Ben Ben has his background right now in the video chat we're doing. Uh, he's got a picture of Julian back there, and to me, it doesn't feel very super villainous. I mean, that's the that's the issue. Uh, you know, we're recording shows while we're several weeks into quarantine but this guy this picture that i have in the background uh he's he's a quarantine master you know he's been on lockdown for nearly seven years so when they're pulling him out uh he's got the he's grown a beard that is as white as his naturally white hair and uh i i think i could agree with you Noel, for especially for people who aren't reading the specifics of what he does if you just see a headline in the picture of the guy and you like Bond films, uh, you might be tempted to say, yeah, that guy looks like a supervillain. A lot of it would go into dress, too. Like, if he wore a turtleneck more often, I think that would up the Bond quotient. But maybe I'm thinking of the earlier Bond movies. Maybe he had, like, a bionic hand or something and, like, a cat that he would stroke with that bionic hand. Mm-hmm. Or, or a weird yes. gun. Is that is that Inspector Gadget? No, what is that from? Yeah, Dr. Claw, uh, he stroked the weird cat with the bionic arm. Yeah. Okay, okay. Then there was also Blofeld in uh, in the James Bond movies who also had a cat. Or at least, at the at, at the very least, uh, Dr. Claw had a metal gauntlet. But since they called it a claw, I like to think it was like a bionic hand situation. So those nice. are... Those are some speculations, right? Uh, but let's let's get to the facts. So here are the facts. The gist of Julian Assange. You know, Julian Assange was born in Australia in 1971, July 3rd specifically. For a full look at his biography and his early years, his ascendance, if you will, uh, please check out our previous episodes. What we'd like to give you by way of background now is just the, a very high-level look at what you could call his career and the consequences of his career path. So today, Assange is probably best known for his activism, which inspired him to create the website WikiLeaks in 2006. Um, I think we're all pretty familiar with WikiLeaks, but uh, let's think of it as kind of a one-stop shop for uh, would-be whistleblowers and leakers of classified documents and footage from around the world, uh, in theory, sort of a repository for all the stuff they don't want you to know, um, regardless of uh, who the they might specifically be. And WikiLeaks gained international attention in April of 2010 when the organization released footage showing members of the U.S. military fatally shooting 18 civilians, including journalists, from a helicopter in Iraq. Yeah, that was sort of the the, the leak heard around the world, you know what I mean? 
I, ben, I still remember being in the fishbowl office at our previous office when that footage was released and you and I discussing it almost immediately after it came out. It was a very intense thing to witness, um, especially being that it was not something that was ever meant to uh, to get to us as, you know, uh, the American public or the world public. Right, yeah. And uh, on a personal note, I missed the fishbowl. Everyone listening, I, I, if you checked out our YouTube videos, maybe we talked about it occasionally, but that was just so cool. Other than being nearly impossible to film in, it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, uh, long story short on that one, it was it used to be a single person's office, and then uh, we moved in and there were like seven of us at one point. Six? Six or seven? Anyway. There at least six. Paul would know best. Paul would know best. Oh, yeah, that's right. Paul, Paul was a fishbowler as well. And this footage rocked not just the fishbowl, but the world. And at this point, we want to pause and give you a heads up that uh, we are going to be talking about some things of a sexual nature. So this may not be suitable for all listeners. Later that same year, 2010, when he released the footage, Assange was detained in the United Kingdom because Sweden had issued an international arrest warrant over allegations that he had sexually assaulted uh, two women during his time in the Scandinavian country. Yeah, specifically the allegations uh, concerned the idea that he had raped one woman and then molested and coerced another all during August 10th when he was in Stockholm to give a lecture and authorities um, were very uh, motivated to question him about these allegations. Assange maintained and continues to maintain to this day that both encounters were uh, consensual and this triggered an extensive court battle. Uh, eventually he ended up um, seeking asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London uh, in order to avoid possible extradition to either Sweden or ultimately the U.S. where his actions with WikiLeaks led him to believe he would not uh, receive a fair shake, uh, much like Chelsea Manning, who partnered with uh, WikiLeaks to leak that earlier footage that we spoke about. And as we know, Chelsea Manning was uh, significantly uh, demonized and the brunt of some very, very serious consequences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of Chelsea Manning's case, though, goes into uh, the fact that Chelsea was a member of the U.S. Army. So there, there are some heavier consequences, but still, you're right. The writing's on the wall. Uh, Julian Assange very rightly thought that he would not get a fair trial. And so it was that he spent, he, he tried to get to Ecuador proper, but he ended up spending seven years almost holed up in the embassy. And there were a lot of media reports about him. You could see some interviews. Uh, they, they, depicted him in ways that sometimes sounded like propaganda or character witness stuff. Now, now to be fair, we have not ourselves spoken uh, with Mr. Assange, but he does have a reputation of being a bit, uh, shall we say, cantankerous. Like he'll walk out of an interview if he feels it's unfair. Uh, he, his bedside manner, some journalists find it lacking, but you'll see reports of him like, being a bad house guest, basically, like he wasn't cleaning up after his cat. And that became, how surreal is that? That became an issue in the embassy. Uh, he also had two children during this time. He was finally arrested by British police on April 11th, 2019, right after the Ecuadorian president, Lenin Moreno, announced via Twitter, again, uh, that the country had withdrawn his asylum Status Along the way, Sweden withdrew their earlier allegations, but after he was dragged out of the embassy in that picture that you guys can see behind me, uh, which is contrasted with uh, what I think that's Game of Thrones. Which character is that from Game of Thrones? I Maester Lewin? Yeah, that's it. Good call. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so... Ultimately, the UK court sentenced him to 50 weeks in jail on May 1st, 2019, not for leaking documents, just for jumping bail, for breaching bail agreements. And then uh, that's when Swedish prosecutors reopened their investigation into the allegations of sexual misconduct and assault. Yeah. And, you know, WikiLeaks, over the years that it has 
been operating both while Julian Assange was really at the helm and, you know, doing day-to-day operations as well as when he was in the embassy and there were others running WikiLeaks, which it did continue um, actively publishing releases for a while. Um, There were a ton of controversies that arose, you know, obviously from the ones we've already outlined there, but countless others. And one of the main ones that we talked about that, you know, the, the Iraq war tape, that specific video that was released, uh, it was a part of a larger Iraq war release that was called the Iraq war logs. It was also called, I think the Baghdad war diaries, something to that effect. Um, so that, that tape was released in April of 2010 then the full Iraq war logs were released in October of 2010. And this was a trove of almost 400,000 classified reports that, according to WikiLeaks and uh, other people who have gone through these documents, uh, quote, document the war and occupation in Iraq from the 1st of January 2004 to the 31st of December 2009. And this is the thing we were talking about, that um, the massive event, it was... Everyone talking about this, multiple countries and institutions weighed in about what needed to happen because of this release. And really, uh, everyone, especially the United States, went into damage control because not only did this affect how the U.S. government and militaries were going to be looked at, it also was going to affect how the allies of the United States government were going to be uh, scrutinized in the future. Um, It really was a a big deal. Yeah, it set... Massive precedent, you know, um, and and there were so many contradicting narratives that went in play. So much attempt to spin. It was very, it, it, it's very difficult to watch history being made because history books make it seem so clean, so point A to point B. Uh, but there, there's so many things that get lost in the shuffle. And that's that's just one of the controversies, right? We also know that later WikiLeaks uh, in 2010 leaked more than 250,000 classified diplomatic cables. A, a cable here in this sense is not like an HDMI cable or something. It's uh, and it's not like Comcast. It's uh, it's a message, right? It's a secret message that different embassies send to one another. Uh, and these these privileged communications uh, might be intelligence on the ground from an intelligence agency. They might be something as small as like the uh, ambassador to Syria said that he was willing to work with us on this, but I just think uh, I just think he was trying to get me out of the room because the man has notorious IBS. Like it's it's very frank behind the scenes kind of looks at stuff. There are things the governments of the world do not want the international public, other countries, or their domestic constituents to know. So it is not by any means hyperbole to say that this fundamentally rocked the world of diplomacy and the repercussions are still reverberating today. This did some irreparable damage uh, to international relations. Yeah, I mean, th- think think about like if you were on an email thread with like somebody and then you thought you had deleted that person temporarily from the thread and started talking a bunch of trash about them with your, you know, cohorts. And then you realize that that person actually was on the whole time. Not a good look. This is sort of like a much larger uh, scale version of that, because as you said, Ben, I mean, these could just be very candid little snippy comments, you know, and it's not like it would necessarily be stuff that would blow open the doors of like, you know, um, any kind of uh, conflict necessarily directly or any kind of intelligence that would, you know, be just earth shattering. It's just a bad look. I mean, diplomacy in and of itself is about good bedside manner and keeping those relationships healthy and uh, stroking egos. And this would do a whole lot of damage to break down some of those relationships that a lot of these diplomats had worked very hard to uh, nurse and maintain. And by the way, if you want to see either of these two subjects that we just talked about, the Iraq war logs or the diplomatic cables, you can find all of that. It's all searchable on the WikiLeaks.org website. Just if you're curious or, you know, you're feeling a little dangerous, uh, you can go check those out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We should say one benefit 
of talking about these past leaks is that they are all available. You know what I mean? Uh, it reminds me of the Streisand effect. You guys know what that is, right? No. So the Streisand effect is essentially saying that once something is out there, once something is published online, especially, uh, it cannot be removed, no matter how much someone wants it to be removed. It's named after a picture of Barbara Streisand, I believe, that she asked to be removed from the internet. And, you know, we all are familiar with the denizens of the internet. That is the same thing as telling them, please, pretty please, spread this everywhere. Uh, yeah. It was her Malibu home as of 2003, I believe, that she was attempting to remove. That's right. And you could see the argument there because it's like, hey, this is, you know, my personal dwelling place. But this situation reminds me of something very funny. I don't know if I mentioned it to you guys when the WikiLeaks stuff really started hitting, but there were internal emails throughout uh, the intelligence industry, which is the right word, uh, and throughout the defense industry where people were literally telling government employees, Hey, we know this is out there. It's on the news. It's online. Uh, just so you know, you will get in trouble if you read it unless you have the correct classification. And that was such a attempt to like close the barn door after the horses have stampeded away. Uh, we just didn't have the legislation for this. And that's part of why, it rocked the world so fundamentally. And that's not even, we're not even talking about 2016, right? But the emails. Because later, WikiLeaks released some 20,000 pages of emails from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, as you'll recall, former Secretary of State Clinton was running for U.S. president in 2016. And also emails from the Democratic National Committee. It is, again, not hyperbole to say that these altered the course of U.S. politics in a big, big way. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the emails, which later became part of the Internet catchphrase, uh, you know, but her emails explored and expanded on multiple Clinton controversies that had already been um, out there in the public imagination. Um, and we, we discussed some of those early on uh, in the campaign between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, where we did uh, Trump, you know, the most popular Trump and Clinton conspiracy theories. And the Clinton conspiracy theories are massive because they involve both her and her husband and the questionable relationship between the Clinton Foundation and its donors. Clinton's uh, kind of, uh, you know, close knit relationships, shall we say, with some very powerful Wall Street interests uh, that became problematic, especially considering that she kind of, you know, was trying to cast herself as sort of the people's candidate um, and her incredibly close ties with uh, very wealthy and powerful campaign contributors. Uh, this is just, you know, beginning to scratch the surface, but it's fair to say that the leaks played a huge role in the outcome of that year's presidential election. And it also, you know, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people looked at Assange early on as sort of this uh, great equalizer, um, you know, and trying to take powerful people to task. And that's all well and good if, if the outcome is on your side, right? And so I think he really became a hugely divisive figure uh, on the left when this happened. And it started to feel like he was perhaps more interested in getting the other side elected. And that became a very confusing part of his character, really kind of uh, uh, complicated the relationship with the public and Julian Assange. I, I would say two things here. Uh, I recently listened to Glenn Greenwald, uh, now of The Intercept, that's how he's best known currently, but a journalist who is discussing how Julian Assange really does represent um, a largely hated figure on both the political left and right within the United States because of, you know, the people who would consider him anti-war or anti, you know, uh, military because of the Iraq war logs and other things and the diplomatic cables. Uh, they, they very much dislike him from that angle. And then from this, like you said, and the people on the political left very much dislike him because they essentially blame him for uh, Hillary Clinton losing the election one commonality that we've seen through these leaks is that it is attempting, at least, it feels that it's a, a, an attempt to show that behind the curtain scene of the powerful people in every single one of these that we just that we've already kind of mentioned here, um, 
And I guess when you are doing that and showing a peek behind the curtain of all powerful people, you're going to kind of piss everybody off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Very much so. And I, you know, I want to ask you guys here, uh, just an opinion, you know, uh, do, are, are you all of the opinion that this, uh, that this did significantly impact the election or was it, I, I mean, how much do you think it swung the needle? I would say it swung the needle. I mean, my opinion is that yes, for sure it did because it changed the conversation that was happening on the news cycle, almost like right up into the election, right up into the day of the election. It really did change what people were talking about. Oh, no. I mean, I think that's there's no question about it. It, it absolutely hijacked the conversation uh, in a way that Clinton was just not able to put back in that Pandora's box, you know, and it really uh, completely took away her power to kind of steer the narrative, um, which, you know, say what you will about wh whichever side of uh, policy politics that you, you fall on. Um, she definitely was trying very hard to cast herself in this light uh, of being kind of the people's candidate of being this sort of, you know, even handed person that wasn't connected to any kind of wrongdoing um, and that she really cared about the every man, um, for lack of a better term. And this really kind of shattered a lot of that and it made it at least whether it was true or not uh at least the contents of the emails and the nature of the whole private server situation and whether or not she completely flaunt flouted the rules and just went her own way it really robbed her of the ability and her campaign of the ability to steer that narrative uh, and it was just impossible to spin it at that point yeah, it's the old the old uh, saying holds true. If you are defending yourself in any kind of political sphere, then you are automatically losing. Uh, the fascists were right about it. Uh, the <laughs> the Republicans and the Democrats were right about it. It's just sort of the uh, part of the um, part of the house rules of these terrible, terrible games. But there you have it. Here's the takeaway: a single man. Flesh and blood, just as many of the people listening to the show today are, uh, unelected himself, was able to shake the world. You can understand why so many powerful people consider him dangerous. When we last left Julian Assange, he had been removed from the Ecuadorian embassy. All indications appeared that he would continue on a legal battle at a glacial pace, likely from prison as he sought to avoid extradition and probably in his mind possible death in the United States. So where are we at now? We'll answer the question after a word from our sponsors. Here's where it gets crazy. What's happening now? Well, it turns out the conspiracy to expose conspiracies has not worked out especially well for Julian Assange. Yes, you'll recall how we said Assange was sentenced to 50 weeks in jail. Uh, well, he was due to be released in September of 2019, um, the 22nd specifically, when his jail term for breaching that bail uh, ended. And they just didn't let him out. <laughs> the Westminster Magistrates Court noted that there were substantial grounds for believing, if free, Assange would make another run attempting to gain safe status um, or, like Edward Snowden, make it to a country that would not extradite him to the United States. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's the same way a court assesses anyone's uh, risk of flight. You know, they won't grant you bail or they'll make your bail excessively high if they think or if, if they even think that you're going to flee, let alone if you've got a, an established pattern of doing that, which Assange absolutely had. So Julian Assange remains in the Belmarsh prison in the United Kingdom. Uh, his partner, lawyer Stella Morris, who uh, he has two children with, recently said, quote, the life Life of my partner, Julian Assange, is severely at risk. He is on remand at HMP Belmarsh, and COVID-19 is spreading within its walls. So this is a, absolutely a topical update here. Uh, Morris sees more than just Assange 
uh, Assange's personal health um, uh, in in jeopardy here, uh, saying that, quote, Julian needs to be released now for him, for our family and for the society we all want our children to grow up in. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on <laughs> what what your take is on on that particular vision of society that Assange uh, espouses, you know. And again, I mean, a big part of his character is the idea of like free speech and about you know taking powerful people to task. But he is absolutely uh, has been and remains a super divisive figure. Um, so let's talk about uh, a bigger picture issue here that we've addressed uh, a little bit in some of our COVID nineteen updates: the risk of coronavirus in prisons. Well, yeah, it's it's certainly a hairy situation for anyone who is being kept anywhere within fairly close quarters to other human beings, especially if there are any kind of sanitary issues within, let's say, a prison like that. Um, and in prisons across the world, people are being infected with coronavirus because it only takes one person to enter that closed system at some point to then infect one other and then exponentially grow that outbreak. But in this particular prison, HMP Belmarsh, where Julian Assange is, at least two people within the prison have contracted COVID-19, or they've contracted the coronavirus and are dealing with symptoms of COVID-19. And prisons just in general are pretty rough places to be with individuals who, you know, have attributes and possibly charges pending against them for varying things of varying severities. And in, you know, these uncertain times, there are higher than average odds of things like violence occurring within prisons where there's that kind of fear of something like coronavirus or, or, or uprisings or, you know, maybe even riots, very violent riots occurring within these prisons. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. In fact, there are numerous reports already of riots uh, about prison conditions uh, in the U.S. and abroad. And in some countries, prisoners have even successfully taken guards hostage, not even necessarily to say, hey, we're throwing down the prison walls, uh, let let my people go, but more to say we need to bring attention to the pandemic bloodbath that may occur uh, when we are locked in here like animals for whatever reason. So this this prison angle has has a lot of fairly plausible conspiratorial aspects to it because you know we've seen the the kind of manufactured concerns that pop up in other celebrity prison stories someone has a high paid lawyer like someone working for Weinstein or something who says you know he's very fragile therefore even though he's been convicted of these crimes he should get some sort of special treatment because it's the humane thing to do. Uh, by the way, for R&B fans, R. Kelly is uh, looking for the same thing, the argument being that he has diabetes. And COVID is going to blow through prison systems. But in Assange's case, there's solid evidence that his life may be at risk, more so than a Weinstein, more so than an R. Kelly, because... Not as much as a... Uh, an Epstein? Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Not as much as an Epstein, right. We should call that, we should make the Epstein scale. Uh, if, uh, you know, uh, fellow conspiracy realists, uh, if you have the time and the inclination, please feel free to make an infographic of the Epstein scale, uh, the likelihood of dying in prison. <laughs> you know, I would, I just really quickly, but this is a very interesting thing to think about because the reason Julian Assange is in jail, you know, is officially because of jumping bail. But really, when you put all of the math together, it's because he had uh, damning evidence against very powerful people, right? Or he was able to release information about powerful people and the actions they take. But then you think about somebody like Jeffrey Epstein that very likely, at least allegedly, had the worst kind of evidence against extremely powerful people. And we saw what happened to him. You know, who knows if it was, look, we can't prove to you if it was self-inflicted or not self-inflicted in his case, but he was only in prison for a short time. That's all I would say. Right. Yeah. It's very much worth pointing out that plenty of powerful people want this guy dead, uh, even if they can't kill WikiLeaks, which is also on the wish list. 
Uh, we should note that um, you know the Trump administration is currently attempting to extradite Assange to the U.S. However, remember we're we're very quickly going into the no real good guys morally gray territory because the desire to gain possession of Assange transcends the growing stark ideological divide in domestic U.S. politics. Establishment Democrats want the guy under the jail or under the daisies as much as establishment Republicans. He has very few friends in Congress. You know what I mean? And it's it's kind of misleading. That's why I, I appreciate the point you made, Noel, earlier about uh, people liking a hero or calling someone a hero until their principles, whatever they may be, run counter to our own principles. It's well, the idea lesson. of like one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. It all depends on what side of the issue you fall a lot of the times. You know, I mean, certainly both sides can be guilty of uh, what would be considered negative acts or even atrocities, but still in terms of the way you view uh, the means justifying the ends, you could probably say, well, they might have done some bad things, but they were you know, ultimately supporting what I think is a just cause. Mm-hmm. And oh, and we should point out in a um, in a no wait, baby, but kind of moment, let me tell you what really happened. Uh, the U.S. is still kind of in damage control over this and has been since 2006. So for more than a decade, they've been in damage control. Here in the States, Uncle Sam says Assange is not wanted because he um, caught the U.S. doing some bad things red-handed or because he damaged the soft power of the reputation Uh uh, abroad or because he embarrassed the U.S. They say he's wanted because he illegally endangered the lives of informants, a.k.a. spies or assets, dissidents, a.k.a. also possibly spies or assets, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe, you know, maybe sincere dissidents, uh, as well as activists, a.k.a. spies or assets. But <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe activists um, in multiple countries, including, of course, Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan. So, what 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 gives what what is he actually going to be charged with or indicted for do we know yeah there there is a, an indictment and pending charges standing against julian assange from the united states and i i'm going to boil it down to you in the way that jennifer robinson explained it in a recent conversation with glenn greenwald she she's a human rights attorney and she's representing assange and she explains it that the, the the charges essentially state that Assange was communicating, had communications of some sort with Chelsea Manning at the time known as Bradley Manning, and that Assange discussed with Chelsea ways in which she could access highly classified materials in a way that would protect her identity. That's really what it's saying. That's the whole thing. Assange was was in connection with Chelsea Manning, and Chelsea Manning got the materials to him, and then he released them. And also, according to Jennifer, there's a widely held misconception that's just kind of been floating around, and it started from this Department of Justice press release that came out um, not that long ago. And within this release, it falsely stated, at least according to Robinson, that Assange was being charged with, quote, hacking. So in some way, using, you know, a computer or a system to access classified government materials and then get those for Chelsea or with Chelsea Manning. Because we, you know, we discuss Chelsea Manning is the person who ended up getting a lot of that documentation that became the Iraq war logs and the tapes. Um, so um, just the last thing here is that According to Jennifer Robinson, within that indictment, there is no allegation that Assange attempted to hack the U.S. government uh, in any way to get to gain material. There's also no allegation within that indictment that he unlawfully accessed any government computers or systems whatsoever. That's just uh, just to put it out there. In conclusion, um, the the charges are that he had a discussion with Chelsea Manning about how to hide her identity while accessing secret documents. Okay. And then once uh, once that kind of stuff proceeds, if it does indeed proceed, 
uh, then we'll see those kind of charges become increasingly specific as prosecutors explore uh, explore their options. So this naturally leads us to the next part of the update, which is this. What's on the horizon? We'll explore that after a word from our sponsors. We've returned. So just a few days ago, as we record this, uh, peek behind the curtain, interest of transparency, it is May 6th, Wednesday, a lovely day outside in Atlanta, as far as I can tell. Uh, Blustery, I would say. Yes, I love it. I was writing on the porch. I wish I could record out there. Uh, Just a few days ago, Julian Assange received word that he will have to wait until at least September of 2020 before a British judge will hear the U.S. request for his extradition. This comes to us uh, from a possibly biased source, to be fair, Kristen Frafsnan, the editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks. Earlier, they said in a video posted on social media that it's unacceptable and confirmed that Assange likely has to spend another four months at least in prison. And if a hearing does come to pass in September, that means that he will have spent one year in prison after being dragged out of that embassy on his... What was that, on his charge of 50 weeks for jumping bail? Yeah, that he was supposed to be let out in, what'd you say, September of last year? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh, And additionally, the editor there at WikiLeaks said he was not able, the said Assange, that is, was not able to attend some earlier hearings via video link because he was unwell. So... That gives us, unless that spin, that gives us a pretty solid argument that at least in his case, the health concerns are real. Uh, you know, reporters said he was deteriorating mentally already when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy. So the fate of Assange uh, may actually set a legal precedent in the United States, regardless of where you stand uh, with these leaks in particular. It can't really be denied that they pushed the public in multiple countries uh, to hold politicians accountable and well, to, to attempt to do so anyway. Uh, imagine a world where any disclosure, even if it's incredibly vital to the public interest, becomes a crime. And that's like dystopian kind of stuff right there. Whistleblower protections, which have historically been better on paper than in actual practice, have truly eroded in the time since uh, Assange was kind of at his peak. Uh, Consider that other countries like China and Russia have already started intimidating civilians for, quote, rumor mongering, end quote, uh, as we've discussed in the COVID-19 episodes, Uh, the scientist that, you know, reported the early signs of that virus was accused of that very thing. And uh, essentially blackballed and uh, treated like a criminal. Um, And that was a big part of what we can now call some form of cover-up. Yeah, yeah. And Russian doctors keep falling out of windows. Uh, One fell out of a window after he made a video update where he's protesting being forced to work despite not having PPE, personal protective equipment, and despite having tested positive for COVID. They still wanted him to work. And then just a few days later, he released a video where he said that was all crazy. He denied any of those claims. Everything was fine. And then he fell out of a window. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have been keeping track of that. But yeah, make no mistake. There is a war for information. That war is very old. But now there is a war on information. Mm, this is very true. And and you can see that depending on the outcome of Julian Assange's situation, this could have a supreme impact on the future of potential whistleblowers, like you were saying, Noel. And it has a lot to do with the fact that if you decide to leak information somewhere, and you could be hunted down essentially by the government that you were blowing the whistle on. I mean, it would it would really set a precedent for that. And the big problem here, it expands from the individual whistleblower to the outlets, the major news outlets that cover stories about leaked information. 
if, if you'll recall during the Iraq Warlogs saga of 2010, as well as the diplomatic cables, the DNC emails, these were major releases done in conjunction with, with newspapers. It wasn't just WikiLeaks putting out information in the, with the Iraq Warlogs. That was the guardian. That was the New York times. I think uh, Der Spiegel released part of that information. They all kind of segmented it out. It was all, you know, major news outlets releasing leaked material via WikiLeaks. And this is something we have to remember major news outlets, let's say like the guardian or the New York times, these news outlets have on their sites easily accessible methods for anyone to anonymously provide newsworthy information to those outlets. Essentially, if we're thinking about it in this framework, aiding and abetting potential whistleblowers. And we have two examples of this. You can go to theguardian.com slash secure drop right now to check out the way that they want you to give them leaked information or to leak them information securely and anonymously. You can also go to nytimes.com slash tips to see how the New York Times wants you to do it. They're, they're suggesting that you use WhatsApp and Signal and Secure Drop to make contact with them and then to send them materials. And, you know, if the whistleblower individual falls because of Julian Assange's situation, it would also make sense that perhaps the, you know, journalism is the way we understand it leaked important information would become in some ways illegal mm. yeah and then maybe your uh past actions could become prosecutable offenses there's one thing i i did this on a different show i wanted to mention this to you guys because i thought you would find it interesting and hopefully you will too fellow listeners uh speaking of censorship a completely different person who perhaps them, sees themselves as a whistleblower, uh, has run into what they say is a conspiracy of censorship. Uh, David Icke just had his YouTube channel deleted, uh, will not be going back up. Uh, I think I had around 900,000 subscribers. Uh, his, his Facebook page was also deleted uh, because the tech companies are instituting a ban against anybody spreading uh, misinformation about the coronavirus. So as you can imagine, there are a lot of people who are saying, yes, you have to do this because he's endangering lives, which is similar to the argument made by the U.S. government about Assange. And then you have people who are saying, you know, I might not agree with this guy at all, but he is, uh, he is exercising free speech. It's a little sticky there, you know, when we start to navigate the idea of public safety, censorship, free speech, because with with great speech comes great responsibility, does it not? And uh, you know you have to ask yourself about um, the platform there. But but tech companies are a little different, of course, because it's their sandbox. They make the rules. They can do whatever they want. Uh, I, I just think it's interesting that we're seeing more and more of these um, these information conflicts rising to the fore. And this is in no way an endorsement of David Icke. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, assuredly. Yes. Um, I just wanted to bring this up. We're, we're talking about kind of the control of speech on outlets like that on uh, platforms such as YouTube. I just wanted to mention to you guys, I don't know if you saw the email come through. We got contacted by our old pals at All Time Conspiracies. Some of you older conspiracy realists may remember a time on YouTube when we made some videos with the guys on this channel called All Time Conspiracies. And uh, I did a little catching up with them, and they've written back to us. They went through the exact same issues we did with the YouTube YouTube algorithm and their content being suppressed essentially because they were talking about political issues, conspiratorial issues, um, and they ended up having to shutter their channel and they've moved on. So if, you, if anyone is interested, uh, they want to do an episode with us. They've got a podcast now, similarly to ours. So I thought that might be a fun mashup in the podcast world now instead of uh, on video just to talk about what happened to our YouTube channels. <laughs> <laughs> I would be interested in that for sure. What do you think, Noel? 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, always down for a good collab with like-minded folks. Mm -hmm. And this leads us to one more potential development. So we are at a, uh, we are at a branch. We are possible forks in the road. And as Yogi Berra, the old announcer famously said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. (sighs) Sorry. that, That joke's for you, dad. But uh, but this um, it, we do see some very important mutually exclusive things on the horizon. One of these things is going to happen to Julian Assange. One, he may die in prison before that extradition hearing occurs or before it is carried through. And then for some very powerful people, a big part of the problem would have solved itself. However, we have to remember... Uh, you know, um, like Che Guevara famously said in his last words, shoot, fool, you are only killing a man. Uh, WikiLeaks wouldn't die if Assange did. It would continue. It's not a perfect system, and there are allegations, uh, as I believe one of us mentioned earlier, that it has a shifting agenda of its own, you know, including pretty serious allegations that it partnered with Russia to wage some sort of asymmetrical information warfare against the U.S. So one possible occurrence is that he dies in prison. End of story. And we're talking there, you know, about one person dying and the, the movement continuing. We're also talking earlier about maybe it would prevent other whistleblowers from coming forward. But if he did die in prison, the other scenario is that maybe more whistleblowers come forward because they see it almost as a martyrdom situation where the way he was treated and how it all went down, they want to stick it to the man essentially and continue in that legacy uh, outside of WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. And now we have to ask ourselves, what about the precedence if he goes to trial? It's going to be even more crucial. You know what I mean? Uh, then, I mean, here, let's be a little bit idyllic, uh, at least from his perspective. What if Assange is able to stay in the United Kingdom the same way, for instance, that Edward Snowden is currently staying in Russia? Uh, it probably won't happen. What if he's able to escape and live on the run, you know, uh, like that Beatles? Is it Beatles or is it just Paul McCartney? Band on the run? Band yes, wings, baby. Wings. wings. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. So what if he pulls that just for the rest of his life? Uh, Sanj on the run. There we go. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure out who Sailor Sam is in that in that regard. I guess it's Uncle Sam. Uh, but here's the question. What if, what if Assange goes to a U.S. court, gets extradited, goes to trial, and gets found somehow not guilty or gets off scot-free? Don't worry about that too much because that is almost definitely not going to happen. Yeah. He would end up going to jail again, right? And I could I could see a scenario like that, Ben, where he does uh, end up going to jail in the United States and then just goes away. And then every once in a while, one journalist from one outlet will write a piece on it once a year. Yeah. Well, I you know, I think one thing we can all agree on, fellas, is that uh wings has an enormous fan base you know an army across the world and uh they probably won't let this story die because you know now that i'm thinking back on it i'm pretty sure that the entire catalog of wings is, is terribly prescient to the career and the controversy that is julian assange i've got i've got to look up the lyrics this goes deep we need to get paul mccartney on the phone uh, who who can call Paul McCartney? Matt, Noel, can you do it? You know, it's funny you should say that. I'm actually working on a podcast with Paul McCartney's guitarist, so may well have an in to, to Macca. Nice. Perfect. They call him Macca? They call him Macca. Like the guitarist calls him Macca? That's what, that's what big big Paul fans call him, like McCartney, Macca. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. It's like a pet name. Or like McDonald's slang for in Australia. Like Macaw. <laughs> I just call him Paul. <laughs> so, so that's where we are now. And to you from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. Went on a little longer than it needed to. Uh, <laughs> but, but you get the picture. We want to know two things from you. 
First, what do you think should happen to Julian Assange and others like him or those who come after him? Secondly, what do you think will happen to this notorious whistleblowing mastermind? Um, let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter uh, as a show and as individuals. Yes, you can. And just one last question I want to pose to you. What do you think the next big leak will be about? Because there will be another big leak. I'm going to blow this yeah. wings thing wide open. I'm telling you guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we've got a nomination from this side. Let us know what you think. Uh, like Ben said, you can find us uh, usually at Conspiracy Stuff, sometimes at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Check out our Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. It's fantastic stuff written by fantastic people like you. So go check it out. Talk about the shows. Let's discuss, you know, some of the minutia. Let's talk about future episodes. Uh, let's hang out there together on Facebook. If you're into that kind of thing, if you're not, you can always give us a call. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave a message, uh, at the sound of Ben's, uh, tone, his, uh, sultry tones, and, uh, it'll go to us. Uh, all three of us have access to it, though Matt is still kind of the gatekeeper. Uh, I, no? I think Ben is more the key master, uh, but, but Matt uh, is, Matt is the gatekeeper. Wait, does that mean we have to copulate? God, I forget how it went in Ghostbusters. Hey, man, I can't remember. whatever, whatever, whatever you need, dude. <laughs> whatever you need. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I do wonder which Ghostbusters, uh, we would be, that's funny. I was, um, well, I got some spoilers about Dan Aykroyd possibly in the future, but we'll, we'll catch up on that, uh, down the road. Yes. As, as Noel said, uh, give us a call. Uh, Matt is our, Matt is our phone guru. Uh, but we do all have access. We are all listening in. It makes our day to hear from you. Just let us know uh, if you're comfortable with your story, your name, or your um, specifics of your account being shared on air because we don't want to compromise you. Or if you're cool with us, you know, intentionally or unintentionally calling you back. Yes, yes. If you're cool with us accidentally butt-dialing you, uh, full steam ahead. And if you hate all of that stuff, uh, for one reason or another, we totally get it. And we, as always, have a backup plan. You can email us directly. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.